Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on Patreon.com. You want some revelation? Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to the Mormon News Roundup. It's February 19th, and uh, we're going to ruminate on the great and spacious beehive with uh, Cardinal Ellis. Uh, we got the Midnight Mormons, not all of them, but we have one of them, and we're going to go over some uh, chat GPT fun, also President uh, Dallin Oaks on diversity, and an LDS sports update, and proof that Mormons uh, really are smart and deep church conspiracy theories exposed. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. We've also linked to the Midnight Mormons and their YouTube channel. Uh, Carton, welcome to the Mormon News Roundup. Thanks for having me, man. Are you the one that made that intro song? <laughs> no, no, that was uh, from Weird Alma. He does a parody, uh, he does par- Mormon parody video uh, music, which I find to be absolutely hilarious. He's got about four albums. On, he's on Bandcamp. I think he's on Bandcamp. Just do a Google search for Bandcamp. Has a lot of very, very funny Mormon videos, which I find absolutely hilarious. Why did you start your show? What's your channel all about? Uh, Midnight Mormons, why do we start it? Um, you know, I, uh, I mean, there's multiple reasons why you do things. It's usually kind of a perfect storm of, of, of many reasons, but I'd say if I had to boil it down to just a couple of reasons, first off, I'm a radio host and I have a voice and I have opinions. We can't help, but create, we can't help, but, uh, speak what our, what's on our mind. Second off, um, I'd, I'd had some really uh, bogus, maybe traumatic experiences with um, friends of mine getting into anti-Mormon publications that I felt were very uh, dishonest and c- cynical and um, really deeply affected our relationship in a way that um, I never, I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um, what happens when people kind of go down that cynical path, what it, what it does to their own psyche, what it does to their human relationships. And I take my human relationships very seriously. So I'm kind of one of those old school liberals that thinks that through, you know, actual conversation, analysis of facts and communication, there's hope for humanity getting on the same page and at least coexisting together in a tolerant and if not uplifting fashion. So um, I started Midnight Mormons oftentimes uh, doing debunkings of a lot of anti-Mormon lies that get uh, spouted out about us in hopes of that, what some would say noble, others would say um, impossible goal. Uh, whether or not it's worked, whether or not it's been, <laughs> you know, effective, I don't know. Time will tell. But um, I'd like to think so because the uh, uh, I get a lot of um, very positive feedback from a lot of people who've been uh, positively affected by it. So I'm proud of what we offer the Internet. And uh, that's the I guess that's the origin story. I've never really actually had to articulate that. You're the first person that's asked. Usually they just start up saying, why would you say this? You know, <laughs> Oh, well, no, no, uh, no. What, what, what do you think, Cardin? What makes Midnight Mormons special? What do you offer? There's a lot. There's lots of Mormon pod. There's a million Mormon podcasts out there. When you search on it, there's lots of YouTube channels. There's lots of LDS related content. What is it that makes Midnight Mormons special? In other words, what do you offer that others in the same space do not, if anything? Um, I could say what I think, but is there anything you observe? Like, what uh, made you think to reach out to us instead of others? I'd be curious I, to hear your thoughts first. I. 
I would say the entertainment factor is very, very high with the Midnight Mormons. I, I just think the, the almost a sensational quality, um, kind of a, almost over the top. It, 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 there's a level of, I don't, I, uh, I don't want to sound offensive, but it's almost like you caricature, you're a character of yourself. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. That's That's my take on it. Like yeah, you're, you're a caricature of yourself almost. That's what makes it so special in my opinion. That's funny. Um, what I would say, well, first off, thank you. Um, I'm glad you find it sensational and entertaining. Um, I, I would say I noticed that we fill a market. I, I know the, the guy that started FedEx, apparently he just done a market survey for like some, I don't know, business class. And he realized there was a market for um, overnight document delivery and hence the birth of FedEx, you know. There, there, I can't say that I did like a market analysis to start my channel, but I have noticed a lot of success very quickly that I'm happy about. Um, and I think I've boiled it down to this. Th this is at least how I would try and contextualize our success. There's a marketplace for people who are speaking frankly about obvious truths that are considered either taboo or politically incorrect. And members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and the whole conversation around the church is in an odd spot because the church does not engage in apologetics. It's not part of their mission statement to go online and correct the record for every person that wants to speak evil of them or misrepresent them or us, shall I say, as a member. Uh, they don't engage in apologetics, which means it's up to the layman or it's up to some of these auxiliary 501c3 organizations that are all overworked, underpaid, and basically volunteer. Mean, uh, and, and so most of the shows that you see that are pro-Mormon are either structural from the church itself, and it's an official Come Follow Me channel, or it's an official newsroom, and, and they can only speak in the most neutered, euphemistic, and um, kind of uh, focus-grouped language that doesn't provide any entertainment value, okay, and isn't necessarily a defense of the church, or you get commentaries from people outside of the church, you know, that hate it, that want to speak evil of it, and want to mock it. And sometimes you can see some of the funny here or there, but there's no one really that is a faithful member of the church that says, hey, dude, this is bogus and just calls it how they see it. And I think one of the proofs for that is to this day, I think we are the only faithful live stream on YouTube. All the other live streams with Mormon in their name that participate in the quote Mormon conversation, they all craftily name their channels Mormon so they get the SEO thereof. But all of them are excommunicated members that, that hate the church and want to twist every latest, greatest semi-controversy into uh, something that it's not. So I think it's because we, we approach life from a faithful angle, but not dogmatic. I mean, we're plenty fine saying, okay, yeah, that was a stupid quote, or yeah, so-and-so did something dumb, or else, yeah, I don't think the church is doing X, Y, or Z thing right. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that the church is not true. And that this is not a better path for you and your family. Things can be imperfect while still being worthwhile, important, even necessary at the same time. Yeah, that's great thoughts. Um, you're probably best known for, in my opinion, from your November 2021 uh, Radio Free Mormon debate. What are your thoughts on that particular format? And how did you feel about the tone of the event and your, I guess I was going to say collective performance, but your personal performance? Um, I think we had a resounding success in that debate. Uh, first off, because we proved that anti-Mormonism, ex-Mormon anti-Mormonism, whatever you want to call it, does not actually care about the people that it leads out of the church, that it is using current events, 
especially the LGBTQ issue, to get people out of the church. It was very interesting. There was a specific question that... Um, My brother's the, keeper. Yeah, exactly. There was a specific question where when asked what his responsibility was to people that he's convincing to leave the church, um, RFM said, I have no responsibility. I should be able to speak my mind freely and they suffer the consequences of their actions and so on and so forth. And we came out and we said, hey, we believe we are a brother's keeper, that we are um, responsible for each other as brothers and sisters in God. And yeah, there's some things that have to get worked out in the contemporary conversation surrounding the law of chastity, how we accept communally, uh, all kinds of societal questions. But at the end of the day, we cannot lose our identities as brothers and sisters in Christ and mutual children of God, or this whole thing goes away. And yeah. everybody just falls into misery. Or as Sean McCraney said, scorched effing earth. So, um, yeah, I, I think we did really well. It was weird and it was awkward. I didn't like the three-on-one idea. I didn't like that we'd asked Bill Real to have a conversation on our show and then he declined and then he challenged us back and then he sent RFM in his stead. And it ended up being in front of this really weird non-green screen that was like pink and purple and orange that looked like the opening credits of the Partridge family on Nick at Night. You know what I'm saying? There, there was a bunch of things that I thought were kind of awkward about it. But at the end of the day, I, I think it ended up being a, a, a necessary thing for people that were on the fence to witness. Now, what do you see, Carden, as the future of Mormon-related podcasting, YouTube, social media? What do you what, what is the future of those type of shows? The separation of the wheat and the tares. What do you mean by that? What's the future of the blogger knackle? Um, I think I think it's going to become increasingly obvious as the conversation gets increasingly cynical. And um, I actually think the pendulum has already started turning in many quarters in the conversation um, to a point where people are fed up with the wokeness. They've seen how it's really harmed their lives and it's harmed their human relationships and that the loss is, is greater than any kind of societal gain. And I actually think there will be a never a return because society never returns to anything. It just kind of you know, adjusts and adapts. I'm actually hoping there's going to be a norm normalization in the conversation. And I'm increasingly coming in contact with people that left because they felt they had to, because you're either stupid if you believe, or you're homophobic, anti-woman, or, you know, uh, a bad person if you associate with the church. And they realized that a lot of uh, just like they've been convinced that a lot of what they've been um, taught as a young man or young woman in the church growing up, uh, in their mind was not the complete story. They realized they got a bigger dose of that once they left and that they want to come back, which is, is very interesting to me. Um, the amount of people that come back actually is, is quite interesting. I, I guess maybe I'm just a cranky and stubborn person that once I just left, I'd probably be cranky and prideful the rest of my life. But I'm really amazed at the amount of people that reach out and say, your show helped me very much because like, we are not a reverent program. Like no. we we get in, we talk everything from conspiracy theories to modern politics to why Kwaku's sure. shirts look silly or why Brad's mispronunciations of Canadian words is funny. Like we really don't leave anything off the table. But when people experience the freedom of being able to talk out loud without judgment and the freedom of being able to work out their thoughts and and wrestle with these deep issues and see others that that have what I would say the bravery to expose their thought process online. Um, 
and they see that you can be fun and cool and still have a podcast without being anti, it really just contextualizes some of their doubts into something that is not that significant. And they go back to just the simple basic truths, which I think are the important ones. Yeah, that, that's a fun, great thoughts. Um, before we get into our joke of the week, is there anything else about your personal life or religious beliefs that you want to share with us? Uh, do, no, I, I don't think I have any deep insight other than, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't even know how to summarize all of my religious beliefs other than I definitely believe the Book of Mormon is scripture. Your life is drastically improved by reading it and following it. And your life will improve by living it. Like, I don't know. It's, it's really simple. I, I, I'm not an apologist. See, that's the thing is like, we get accused of being apologists all the time, but like, if you showed me evidence of, I don't know, Russell M. Nelson doing something heinous, you know, tomorrow or, or, or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a fallen prophet, whatever. Right. But I'm not, I'm just a guy that approaches things with an open mind, articulating what my thought process is in real time. And as I explore things, especially accusations against the church, more often than not, I'm talking about a batting average of like 990 here. I find that most of the accusations are at best misrepresentations of the history, at worst, just downright cynical lies. And so just as a regular guy who really has no stake in the game other than I, I've participated in the church a long time, you know what I'm saying? But if I were shown something tomorrow that was a deal breaker, I, I, I'd leave, but I haven't. And the fact that I have just with an open mind approached so much so often and come out always on the side of, okay, yeah, well, church is true. You know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've, I've always stayed. So it's like when people say like, what about this of your religious beliefs? It's like, dude, I am not a hermetic monk that has spent uh, a year in the mountains contemplating the meaning of God and come down from those mountains with tablets, dude. Like I am literally just a guy who happens to know how to set up a radio studio sufficiently well enough that it's a it's it's a high production podcast. That is all I am. Yeah. Well, it shows your production quality on your uh, YouTube channel is a uh, really really um really really something that I that I need to be uh incorporating into my own as well. That does take us to our Mormon news joke of the week which uh you brought out the uh, midnightmegaphone.com post and we're going to link to all this in our show notes but here just a couple of days ago um the midnightmegaphone.com said uh, uh linked to a article that says Radio Free Mormon demands the release of Quaker L's birth certificate. What is he hiding? said the YouTube podcaster. And uh this according to this uh, uh somewhat <laughs> tongue in cheek article he says just like native americans are genetically too inferior to create the vast civilizations in the Book of Mormon, so too, I want proof that Quaker L really deserves to be in this country. And the comments below said that uh, Radio Free Mormon is quite a hero. He's as cunning as he is handsome. Um, your, any reaction to this uh, uh, article here, Gordon? Yeah, I read that. I thought it was pretty funny. I uh, <laughs> uh, We have been, I think it's actually pretty hilarious. Uh, the person that wrote that obviously is familiar with the fact that Bill Real and um, and RFM, they've kind of accused us of almost every conspiracy possible. Uh, everything from rogue, uh, negative commentaries uh, of every type of nature possible in their chat rooms to having, I, John DeLynn said that the church had his TikTok taken down. Uh, we were told that we had uh, started some YouTube channel that was using like AI bots in order to create a voice of a person that didn't exist and was super low production quality, but they said that we were like the masterminds behind it. I don't know. We've been accused of so many uh, conspiracy theories. I guess the, the, the conspiracy theory we haven't been accused of is the birth certificate one. So I guess it was yeah. the only one uh, left. So that's, that's the only one left. Yeah, the article yeah, that's says- a funny article. 
Yeah, it says that uh, Checkmate Kweku L, Radio Free Mormon, has thrown down the gauntlet. After trying to get the young black comedian arrested in 2019 and a brutal defeat in a live stream debate with the comic in 2020, Corbin Volus of Radio Free Mormon fame has upped the ante, questioning the diminutive radio host's citizenship entirely. Uh, <laughs> the diminutive? Kweku's diminutive. That's funny. He's, he's a little slight. Um, I would say yeah. he's, in great, he's in great shape. In fact, I think he posted on his Twitter that he lost like 25 pounds, which I don't know how that's possible considering the fact that he was already somewhat thin. But let's just say I've got a long way to go as far as catching up with him. I'll just put it that way. I thought that was All a right. pretty funny article. Thanks for pointing me towards the uh, megaphone there. Now, uh, I asked the chat. We're going to do some chat GPT fun here, um, Cardin, because I asked the chat GPT the latest and the greatest on the uh, artificial intelligence. I asked them what we should discuss on this episode, and it said, it gave some very good answers. First of all, it says, uh, let me read the response. Some topics that you may want to consider discussing in a Latter-day Saint podcast could include the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the history of the Church, the experiences of members and their testimonies, the importance of faith and service, and the role of families and communities in the LDS faith. You could also explore current events or issues that are relevant to members of the Church and how they intersect with the LDS beliefs and teachings. Ultimately, the specific topic that will depend on the interest of your audience and your personal experiences and perspectives. How accurate is that? Uh, Chat GPT is really interesting because it it is alarmingly human sounding. It definitely has the neutered euphemistic corporate speech as its preferred way of communicating. But um, I, I, I'm amazed at one of my assistants actually said, look, instead of you typing the descriptions in your videos, let's see what chat GPT has to say about X, Y, or Z topic. And just off the title of the file that we uploaded, chat GPT was able to, you know, make a, a, a very surprisingly normal sounding paragraph that I wouldn't say is spot on, but was on enough that if I read it, I wouldn't be convinced that it weren't real unless I started analyzing it. Okay. It definitely is non-committal. Okay. And it definitely is loaded with all kinds of outs, but I actually Quake has a very interesting theory. He thinks that actually AI will get so good that you won't be able to distinguish it from reality without the mechanism of the spirit. And then a lot of the prophecies in the book of Mormon and, uh, and, and modern prophets in the Bible talking about the importance of the spirit in the latter days might be just because deep fakes are so good that, you know, you, you we will have to rely upon, you know, ourselves and our understandings of the spirit. So I don't know if I fully endorse his idea, but when I see chat GPT making such good and convincing commentary, I'm like, whoa, this is eerie. Because think about it, like you and I know that Midnight Megaphone satire. You know, sure. and it states that it's satire and yeah. it says it's satire. And if, if you didn't know, you're kind of stupid anyway, because literally the headline, I believe, is, is something along the lines of the misinformation of men mingled with scripture. You know what I'm saying? So um, it says it's funny, but that's like out of the ethics of the writers, like the onion does the same thing. The Babylon Bee does the same thing, like saying, you know, hey, this isn't reality. This is comedy. Right. Yeah, you were earlier <laughs> referencing kind of the Turing test. The Turing test says that if yeah. once artificial intelligence, once it's at a level that you can't tell it apart from a human being, then it's kind of like they're really taking over, like Elon Musk conspiracy theories type stuff. Now, well, I did put stuff it, they're doing yeah. in Asia. Have you seen the... Now, this has been a thing for 10 years that's not in America because we have a very open society. Our culture is different. But like the electronic girlfriend relationships where... It's more than just what was those pets we had in the 90s that were like a keychain, like the DigiPet, I think it was called or something. You know, that's it's it's that on steroids. Okay. 
And they're actually having practically human relationships that for all intents and purposes, like, are becoming yeah the the Turing test is getting passed like I would say maybe not maybe not visually because they haven't been able to in real time mimic humans in a completely compelling way but audio wise written I, I the, the Turing test is passed now I asked the ChatGPT I said who is Quaku and Cardinalis and here's the response it says Quaku and Cardinalis are two Latter Day Saint content creators and social media personalities they are known for their work in producing and promoting content related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and its teachings they are associated with the YouTube channel Saints Unscripted which features videos discussing various topics related to the LDS Church including doctrine cultural history and current events they have also been involved with other projects related to the Mormon Church including podcasts and events it's worth noting that while Quaku and Cardin are known for their work in the LDS community they are not official representatives representatives of the church and their views and opinions are their own. How accurate is that? Um, I'll tell you this. Th there was only a couple of errors in there that I could think of. First off, I haven't done anything with Saints Unscripted. Um, that is uniquely Quaku. Uh, it didn't mention Midnight Mormons, which I think currently right now is probably the number one thing I'm known for outside of my film and radio career, um, at least in Mormonism. I wonder what threshold they have to consider you a content creator. Because the second you write one blog post that your grandmother reads, you've created content. And we're not that big of a channel yet. I mean, we're less than 10,000 subscribers. And traditionally, 10,000 subs has been the threshold for what somebody would be called, you know, to, to be called an influencer. And we haven't hit that yet. So I think it's interesting that they correctly said we are content creators that have appeared in debates. But I gotta tell you, I just did a podcast I'd say two or three months ago where we fact checked the idiot's guide to Christianity. And there were more errors in that written by a human than there was in the, um, what chat GPT said. Now they were very minor and, and I didn't have a sense that the author was trying to get away with something. I think they were just, you know, small details that, that were ununderstood by somebody that's not an adherent to the faith themselves. But yeah, it's it's alarmingly correct. Yeah, but however, I asked ChatGPT about Brad Whitbeck, I said, and guess what its response is? I'm sorry, but as an AI language model, I don't have access to information about individuals unless they are publicly known figures. Therefore, I don't have any information on Brad Whitbeck's religious affiliation or personal information about him. Sorry, Brad. Yeah, that's weird because he's literally in almost every single episode. How soft spoken and nice and Canadian. He gets, you know, he just gets he gets shorted, dude. He got the short straw on this one. Well, in another multiverse, Carden, I really think that Brad Whitbeck would be an incredibly nice guy. You know, I'm just going to put it that way. <laughs> That's now, funny. I asked the chat GPT who the Midnight Mormons are, and they said, I'm not aware of any specific group or organization called the Midnight Mormons. It's possible that the term is used colloquially to refer to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but without more context, it is difficult to say for certain. So they know who Quaku, they know who Cardinalis is, but they don't know who the Midnight Mormons are. You know, I bet you I know what that is. In our best attempts to try and comply with the um, the the call of Russell M. Nelson to uh, reduce us using the word Mormon, right? Um, we kind of made a change on our channel to be Midnight Strike Through Mormons. And I remember when I got the strike through generator to make the strike through, I thought that was kind of fun and creative. But YouTube, like... A couple of times when I pressed enter on the name change, it said like, are you sure you're spelling this word right? Are you sure you're not using symbols, you know? And then it accepted it after the second or third try. But then finally, it could never process the image, right? And so I'm like, as much as I'm trying to comply here, you know what I'm saying? Like like YouTube 
is not digesting this. So I bet you that because ChatGPT wasn't able to scan the title of our podcast, it was able to scan the hashtags, Mormon, Latter-day Saint, so on and so forth, but probably was having trouble with the strike through. That's interesting. Your strike through is probably killing your SEO. That's probably, you know, it's really affecting you because when I asked the chat GPT about the Mormon News Roundup, it says the Mormon News Roundup is a regular summary of news stories and events related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church. It typically covers a range of topics, including religious developments, cultural issues, and current events involving members of the faith. So it knows who we are, and I'm just going to take a small victory lap here. It knows who the Mormon News Roundup is, but it does not know who the Mormon uh, Midnight Mormons are. Cardin, is this a major victory for Satan? <laughs> I don't, you say that a lot. Is that like a quote from a conference talk? <laughs> I hear that all the time. Is that something that like, I, I can't peg the conference talk, but I'm sure that's something that, that somebody took from, uh, isn't that what Russell M. Nelson said about uh, every time somebody's called Mormon? Is that, Am I remembering this correctly? Yes, you're, you're remembering from his, uh, I believe it was from April of 2019 general conference address where he said that uh, not referring to the church by its full name, taking the name of Jesus Christ out of the name of the church is a major victory for Satan and offends the Savior. So that's where that comes from. So. Oh, well, you can take a victory lap if you want to. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Definitely. If your News Roundup podcast is, is it, look, Chap GPT apparently is your biggest fan. And if you want to take that victory <laughs> lap, dude, I'll run with you. I'll give you, I'll give you the Gatorade like they, the volunteers at the Boston Marathon give the runners, man. I'll take any victory that I can get. And I did ask a couple of last things here. I asked ChatGPT who was smarter, uh, John DeLenn or Cardin Ellis. And it said, oh. as an AI language model, it's not appropriate for me to make subjective judgments on the, on the intelligence of individuals. Intelligence can be measured in many different ways, and it is not appropriate to compare individuals based on such, such subjective criteria. Both John DeLenn and Cardin Ellis have their unique strengths and expertise in their respective fields, and it would be unfair to compare them based on intelligence alone. Well, John DeLenn is breathing a sigh of relief right now. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And he probably appreciates chat GPT almost as much as you do right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, someone I did someone asked chat GPT to write an inspirational hymn based on section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which I think is a um, a very, very oh, good Oh, dear hymn. heavens. That is hilarious. Yeah. What yeah, did it so say? He, here we go. Uh, this is all linked in our show notes. If a man loves a virgin fair and wants to marry another pair, if the first girl says it's okay, then the man can have his oh, way. stop it. Did ChatGPT really do that? Absolutely. Now, no adultery he can commit for they belong to him. And that's legit. The chorus. Multiply and replenish the earth. A promise since before our birth, the father's work must go on until his glory is known. And just one more verse. If a man has 10 virgins to wed, he can't commit adultery. It's been said they belong to him. That's for sure. And he's justified. No need to endure. But if one of them strays away, she'll be destroyed without delay. It's a little bit longer than that. But uh, uh, is that pretty? Accurate? I guarantee uh, that is scanning a million satirical arguments or a million satirical poems that have already been written because there's no way chat GPT is coming up with colloquialisms like legit and then throwing them into a hymn without there having been those colloquialisms referenced already on the internet. So, but it, I, I guess it did effectively rhyme it. So, you know, I'm just waiting for the first rock star that has an AI generated song that goes triple platinum. And just like Millie Vanilli got busted for singing, uh, for what uh, gosh i'm dating myself here you're probably too young to remember this but Mil millie vanilli was a, a hip-hop duo that got busted for lip-syncing their own music live on stage yeah uh, hip-hop is kind of a stretch for them i mean hip-hop wasn't really a thing back in the early 90s but i know where you're coming I, I see where you're going with it yeah mm. so they uh they got busted for for lip-syncing their own stuff there's going to be some poor pop artist there's going to be some poor pop artist that gets busted for doing an AI generated song with AI generated lyrics. 
and I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to be a, 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 a glorious thing to watch. You know, we've been working on the revision of the new hymnal. It was announced back in June of 2018. And if we just use chat GPT, we could get this thing over the finish line. It's been almost five years in revision. And I just want to say the best thing about using chat GPT to write uh, new songs for the new hymnal would be that we wouldn't get any racist or culturally incentive or any sexist hymns, right? Because it's politically correct. That'd be a, that'd be a plus, right? Um, I have been seeing a lot of the contra- well, I, I wouldn't say it's a plus if that's t- if that's tied to an insinuation that past ones were somehow purposefully uh, negative towards any specific group. I definitely think ChatGPT could probably produce some pretty basically solid sounding uh, hymns, especially knowing that like if you watch online, um, the Axis of Awesome, they have a couple of really funny YouTube videos where they take songs that all use the exact same chord and they make one giant supercut song out of it. I mean, if you did take the one, four, five chord and mixed it with the pentatonic scale, uh, you could basically make 90% of the impromptu jazz songs out there, you know? So if you took the Christian hymnal scale and maybe just threw in a a couple of harmonics, then you'd probably come up with a, a hymn that if you went out in the street and asked people to say, which one is the real hymn from the 1830s and which one is the, the AI, I bet you the uninitiated would not know the difference. That's true. That's probably, you're probably right. Now, somebody, uh, someone asked the chat GPT to create uh, something like the Book of Mormon. They said, write an original 500 page religious narrative that uses language from the King James Bible is set in Mesoamerica, invents a hundred names, has various different uh, people that are involved, unique plots, has Christian theology, chiasmas, parallelisms, has allegories, sermons, epistles, ceremonial oratory, scriptural exegesis, detailed scenes of ancient warfare, and do not use anything that um, occurred after 1820 and is only available in New York State in the 1820s. So that, that's kind of a tough challenge, but that's basically what the Book of Mormon is. And the uh, chat GPT said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that. Okay, so there's there's two things that went through my mind simultaneously. First off, that's really funny. And that's uh, reminds me of Hugh Nibley's challenge saying, you know, anybody that can, you know, rebuild the Book of Mormon would have to do X, Y, Z. And he gives a long chain of things the Book of Mormon is. And that's probably why Elder Holland says anybody that wants to disprove the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints needs to crawl in over and around the Book of Mormon. So I'm sure there's a ton of Mormons out there. They're cheering because chat GPT, you know, couldn't do that. And they're, they're, they're counting that as a W, which I will too. But at the same time, I also think, I don't know, that was an insane amount of parameters. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like my dad, my grandpa was a grandmaster in chess. And so I've actually kind of been following AI since its inception being used in chess machines in the 80s um, for machine learning. And he was one, of, he was one of the first purchasers of one of the first chess computers that was able to beat Kasparov. And I remember it was in the late 80s it came out. It was this gray and black tablet. And he would take off the, the pieces and start playing without pieces towards the end because his mind was so good. He could remember where they were and he'd, he'd bet which, which moves the machine was going to make. And I just remember that there got a point where machines were able to finally start beating grandmasters in chess. You know, yeah, it was, a, it was in about 1996 where Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov. That was about the yeah, first yeah. time so that uh, about 1996 Deep Blue beats Gary Kasparov. But if you think about it, that new technology took 20 years to beat Kasparov. So it kind of makes you wonder is it that ChatGPT is now failing because 
it really can't be done? Or are we just looking at another 20 years before AI can start making forgeries that are so believable that we start hitting the quake? Like you talk about the Turing test or the Turing test. I can't remember how it's pronounced. But, um, you know, it's Alan Turing was the guy that invented the decoding machine of the Enigma. And it's the Turing test is the AI test, right? Yeah, Turing, T-U-R-I-N-G, Turing. Yeah, Turing, that's it. So, um, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, is passing the Turing test to a point that you could falsify something as grand as the Book of Mormon an impossibility or is it just an inevitability of time? That's 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 a really interesting question. Probably the latter. It's probably only so? a matter of time. Yeah, because so. already, already ChatGPT can write a re- significant research papers, 20-page research papers on complex topics. I mean, I, I personally think that, you know, the rate that AI learns, you know, this is what Elon Musk says, you know, the rate that AI is learning is uh, it's going to be inevitable until it's just a- a- awesomely powerful. And I don't think that there's going to be almost any challenge that um, literary or mathematically or historically that ChatGPT won't be able to handle eventually, maybe not today, but in the future. I don't know. I think that now you're starting to get in and I won't go down this rabbit hole because it is a rabbit hole, but I was actually um, a physics major when I started college and I really love studying the oranges of the universe. I loved all of the old stories of everybody that figured out how space is expanding and astronomy and the whole nine yards. Right. And there was a really interesting scientist. I, man, I would totally, I wish I could remember his name right now, but he brought up a really good point where he said, I don't think humanity can survive another 2000 years. And People are like, what, why, and, and why such an arbitrary number? You know, And he said, well, if you think about it, we have discovered the eternities. We have basically said that all mother nature and the elements around us need is time in order to evolve. And we seemingly have an endless amount of time. Therefore, with an endless amount of time in the past and an endless amount of time in the future, there should be other species in the universe that have developed enough to be detectable. You know, whether it's some light that's coming from 30 light years or 30 million light years away that had evolved into intelligence enough to send out Morse code from their planet in one of the 15 bazillion solar systems we can see in the sky, we haven't detected one sign of extraterrestrial life. And he said something interesting. He said, I don't think it's because it's not possible, because if time and extended length of time is what is necessary for life to evolve. I don't think it's a function of time. I think life cannot get to a certain point of intelligence before it self-destructs. Right, that's the biggest argument. Yeah, and and so when you say, oh, I think it's an inevitability that AI can get to a point where it's birthing religions out of sacred books that didn't exist before somebody pressed the return button on their laptop, I think our, you, you could launch a nuclear war off false pretenses because somebody had written a script in the NHS in the UK saying, how do we make it so that British people are healthier? And they're like, oh, destroy all of the other people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then they accidentally launch all of their nukes and, and, and just literally send the world into nuclear winter. You know, so it's like, I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think, AI, I will say this right now. This is, a, this is a flag I'm putting down on your show that people can mock me for later if I fail. But I don't think AI will ever get good enough to recreate anything like the Book of Mormon. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, now that does take us to, uh, we got to get into some more news coverage here. Our first uh, article here for the week is Latter-day Saint NFL head coach Andy Reid took some questions. Of course, you watch the Super Bowl and you see the Chiefs. Uh, did you watch the Super Bowl there, Carton? Uh, I did. I did. I watched it. Yeah. And I changed teams halfway through. 
Well, I, you know, I wanted to root for a- a- Andy Reid because I wasn't aware that he was LDS until afterwards. Maybe ever, maybe that was common knowledge to everybody. But yes, he's a, a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And here's an article here that uh, dropped from LDS Living just a couple of days ago. And they're asking him, how do you take your coffee? So they're not asking him about his... Uh, his personnel choices or the game, they're asking him about coffee. And his response, I thought, was kind of amusing. He said, you got to give me an easier question than that. Oh, that's funny. Now, were they just doing it to kind of be just goofy and cute insider baseball? Or was it just because, uh, whatever, I mean, that's that's funny. I I see the humor in it. It's kind of funny you say that you didn't know that he was a member either, because I didn't. I, I confess, I, I didn't have a team in this Super Bowl, so I watched it to participate in the cultural event known as the Super Bowl. But um, family friends of ours uh, are um, deeply tied to the ownership of um, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I kind of felt like, you know, if my cousins or, you know, if that's their team, I got to be I got to be rooting for them. Right. But then I found out that our boy, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs was was a member. And I just said, look, ride or die Mormon, baby. Oh, wait, no, ride or die member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. He said also he gave a shout out to a former BYU head coach, Lavelle Edwards, and he said that he's one of his greatest mentors. And I just thought it was a nice, um, you know, that's a newsworthy item. I thought it was a nice, uh, nice to see a Latter-day Saint uh, win the Super Bowl. And that wasn't the only controversy that uh, hit from the Super Bowl. We also had uh, Rihanna, you know, the halftime show with Rihanna. uh, Somebody tweeted out that... uh, how will the masses know that we're worshiping Satan? Easy, we're going to put a pentagram on your devil's suit. So they're saying that Rihanna here is dressed in all red and that she had a pentagram on her Super Bowl outfit. Is this a major victory for Satan as well here, Cardin? I'm actually split on this. It's kind of funny, and maybe this is just my Quaku influencing me here, you know. But I'm a radio and film producer in Los Angeles, and I know that getting buzz around your production will make or break uh, sometimes your ability to do another production after that. You know, relevance is a difficult thing to come by. And I don't think that every satanic reference is understood in the context of actually trying to summon a sincerely held belief in an opposing power to power uh, to God from a position of pride and destruction of his church. Uh, And sometimes I fear that people gasping at that and pearl clutching are kind of just falling into a marketing trap of doing the, the artist or the marketing firms marketing for them by getting angry at it. At the same time, I cannot help notice that the anti-religious trend is growing and everything Satan would look for that ancient scripture says he wants, he's kind of getting. So you start getting the, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck and lays eggs like a duck, you know, there's a good chance it's a duck. So I don't really, I I don't think Rihanna sold herself to the devil. I mean, isn't she pregnant? You know, the devil hates children. No, no, because he hates growth. He hates beauty, all things good. And every single thing that inspires uh, inspired by him is somehow destruct. I mean, he's called the destroyer. So, so think about it. If, if there's good and there's bad, there's yin and there's yang, there's growth. There is, if there's birth, there is death. You know what I'm saying? It's like, why, the devil's not in the business of making more families. Jesus is, you know what I'm saying? So oh, okay. it's like, yeah. Okay. I'm following you. Okay. It took me, to, you took me a while to get you. You got me there eventually though. Yeah. But the I, don't is- think, I, I don't get the sense she sold her soul. 
I just have a feeling she's kind of trying to summon the colloquial binary of heaven versus hell in the same way that I don't think the cartoon devil on Hercules' shoulder in Disney's offering of the uh, ancient myth is is somehow inspired of the devil. I think there are people that, that that go down dark paths. I think the occult is real. I think the devil can inspire people and not everything needs to be brushed aside. But uh, I'm not the most sensitive to this kind of thing, but I didn't get any kind of bad vibes from the from the uh, halftime show, but who knows? Maybe during the judgment, I'll be told how unaware I was. Who knows? Besides, if, if she has pentagrams on, there's pentagrams on the Salt Lake Temple, right? So should be no big deal? Oh, come on. You know the reality of that, bro. What do you come mean? No, the, no there's, there's pentagrams on the, in the Salt Lake Temple. That's It's a known yeah, fact. Yeah, because, it's because previous to the, uh, I don't know the exact name of, uh, of the books, but previous to the literature on the occult, Pentagrams were a symbol of power, and Brigham Young wanted to incorporate the symbol of power. Just like the, I don't know if we can say this because it's going to be broadcast on YouTube, but just because, just like the symbol that the certain bad man with a mustache in the, the 1930s and 40s co-opted from Hindu as a, a sign of prosperity, which was actually, a, the swastika was a, a sign of prosperity in um, Hindu and Indian faiths, but he co-opted it into a negative sign of genocide. Uh, the pentagram has gone through different types of uh, different iterations as well. And now in modern times, evangelicals have tried to twist it into saying that Mormonism is secretly a cult, when in reality, it's no different than the artists and the masters that painted horns on Noah. It wasn't until the proto-Orthodox church co-opted a lot of pagan uh, gods and goddesses of mischief that had horns on them, that all of a sudden the devil having horns and being satanic was perceived as some kind of uh, negative or satanic thing. So, I mean, if you want to say that the pentagrams on the Mormon temple are evidence of secret occult practices, you would be the same person that's making blog posts saying that Leonardo da Vinci was trying to, uh, you know, somehow incorporate Satanism into his his paintings of Moses. It, it, to me, it demonstrates a little bit more historical ignorance than I would feel comfortable expressing online. Uh, that's not the only, uh, so we've got a lot of sports this week. BYU basketball heading for the worst conference record in 18 years. You know, being a BYU sports fan myself, uh, all I can say is, uh, you know, after all that Jim Rufferdett did for us, now look where we've sunk to. Sad times. Oh, uh, you know, um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was invited to come on a radio program once uh, that talked BYU sports. And... Um, there was there was a comedian there that would write a column and you know he was asking like you know hey you're a comedy guy you did humor you like what's something you would write and i just asked him right off the bat i said uh just write an article that just says byu decides to stop sucking <laughs> you know what i'm saying and um i said you know 9 out of 10 seasons in uh, nine out of 10 of the, 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 the sports teams kind of feel that way. Right. So I love my alma mater. Right. But they've languished a little bit. They've languished for a while. And uh, I think they'll come back, though. And also, I think that the sports programs, all joking aside, I actually think the BYU sports program is a unique and beautiful thing. I've had a chance to go there and participate with members of the sports program in a lot of my filming and, and radio ventures, especially with people that are up there. And, and, you know, I've been in tons of gyms, okay? I was an all-CIF volleyball player, and we would oftentimes go to tourna tournaments or recruiting events for top-tier schools for volleyball, okay? And the environment of the sports programs at BYU is a beautiful and a unique thing. They care about you as an individual, whereas you are a cattle meant to be, you are a piece of meat meant to perform in other 
uh, school settings. And, and there's these beautiful quotes on the wall that talk about how, like, no matter what your athletic endeavors, you are a child of God and have innate value, you know, and all this other stuff. So sometimes when their sports programs uh, languish, they languish for two reasons. One, I think they suck at recruiting. They need to get better at it and they need to work with their strengths and they don't as a church to our own school that doesn't require athletic performance as part of its funding model. I think there's um, a financial, not disincentive, but lack of incentives to perform athletically. So they don't do as good a job of recruiting as they could, but also they abstain from recruiting people that do not want to come to BYU to enjoy the spiritual benefits of the campus. And they say our code and our moral code is more important than our track or our volleyball or our football or basketball record. And I find that a wholly noble endeavor that has a lot more longevity and respect to it than, I don't know, winning a couple of uh, bowl games extra per decade. Because BYU has always maintained its rel relevance and its top tier status, um, even without that. And I actually appreciate that about my alma mater. So what you're saying is that there's no need to put the BYU basketball team on the prayer roll at this time. That's what you're saying. Um, no, no, actually, I think they could use all the help they can get, but you know, I'm saying like, there's just more to life than their record. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So, all right. Sounds good. Which of course you can put your names on the uh, prayer roll now online, which I think is very, very convenient for the temple. Now you can go through your members tool app and submit your, your names online. You don't need to use little white golf pencils. No, no, you can do it all online now. You can make your appointment online. You can submit the names online. Everything is uh, all digital now. In fact, they're going to, you know, some temple di districts are going to digital temple recommends as well. So a lot of digital yeah. stuff. Speaking of which, there is an app for everything. And I shared this with you. I came across this this week and uh, I don't know if it's necessarily news, but this is the first time that I've seen it. They have an app for everything now, Cardin. And I just want to get your thoughts. There's an app that's called whyilef.com. And we're going to put this into the show notes. And the uh, th there's an app for even leaving the church. There's an app for it now. And it's the title of this app here. Let me, let me read it to you. It says, many people born into the LDS church have started to leave. The idea behind, there are many more on the fence about it. Those who still believe often say that those who left or want to leave do so and live without morals. This is simply not true. This site is a small way to support others who are unsure about the church by stating your reason for leaving and by placing a smiley face on a map. Each contribution will help others know that there are more of us out there. Um, so if I look at my own area here, if you zoom out, there sure seems to be a lot of smiley faces. There's nobody who's left in my area in the in the recent uh, in the in the recent past. But there is. I'm zooming in on my own ward here in Washington D.C. and um, you know, there's about four or five people that are within my ward boundaries that have little smiley faces here. One of them says that because he was gay, he left. Another one said LGBTQ. And another one says that uh, I was unhappy with it or, or whatever else. There's about three or four people in my own ward. You know, you had mentioned that. And so I actually pulled it up and I, I was curious as well. And it automatically zooms in, I guess it detects where you are. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw, I think I only saw like two or three in my entire stake. And one went all the way back to 2016. And, and at first I was like, well, the way they've designed this, there's absolutely no way to verify it. Like, how do we know that this isn't it, like, we've been talking yeah. about chat GPT all day. And I don't think this is, you know, chat GPT is interested in generating why I left.com. Right. But I, I noticed in the lack of being able to say like, like it, it didn't seem like that website is actually trying to generate any kind of cohesive following. It's just trying to show like how many people have left, but there's no kind of unique identifiers and so it's like, yeah. I, I didn't really know what to think. And all of the answers are super generic. I did find one guy in California that said, my name is so-and-so. I think this is crap. And this is why I left. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that guy's human, you know, but all the other stuff was just so rounded and this and that. I'm like, I deal in an online universe. You got to realize I did online social media marketing and review generation for years. 
I mean, that's actually how I got my, my, my teeth cut in a lot of digital film was by making small online promotional commercials for local businesses and restaurants in New York. And let me tell you, reviews are a sham. I'm not saying that this app specifically is a sham because I, I don't know, who knows, maybe every single one of these is legit. But at the same token, it's like, this is basically a review site for the church of people that dislike it enough to leave and are motivated enough to say things against it that also has no algorithm to uh, get reviews, for lack of a better term, that leave with time. So, I mean, given enough time, the whole map would light up. I mean, if there was a map of Catholicism over 2000 years, you know, you, you no longer have boundaries between anywhere. And then I also thought it was really funny that uh, there was a bunch in the ocean. So apparently like, you know, some where, people- Where, where, like, in California? Yeah, yeah, there was a bunch like out in the middle of the ocean. And like, I was trying to figure out, wow, why is that, right? And only one referenced like deep sea fishing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So anyway, I don't, I don't know what to think other than, okay, it exists. Somebody figured out how to code something where- Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, there's ones like out in the middle of the ocean. So I was like, man, unless somebody was having a faith crisis on the 38th parallel between Australia and Papua New Guinea, like, I, I don't know what to say, man. On Gilligan's uh, tour boat there. It's a little bit off of shore there in Long Beach. Yeah. So, uh, you know, why is there no app for why people stay in the church? They're, you know, because there used to be the I'm a Mormon campaign, which is basically kind of like the same thing. But there's no app for people who want to stay in, to my knowledge. But there is an app for people who want to leave. Why do you think that is? Because it's a much healthier and well-balanced life, I believe. I mean, I, I don't say that to be, I don't say that to be callous. But if if you're a person that's eating regularly and you're, you know, you're eating healthily and you're exercising and so on and so forth. Uh, do you need supplements and diet pills as much? Not much. You also have an extreme sense of community. I, I've noticed that a lot of, a lot of the reason that Sean McCraney asked in our debate with RFM, what responsibility he felt for the people that he encourages to leave the church by misrepresenting it, in my opinion. Um, a lot of the reason why Sean McCraney asked, what responsibility do you feel, is because he could blatantly see as a pastor of a different faith that when you lose your faith, especially one that is communal, um, you have chosen to excise one of the most necessary parts of human existence from your life, which is your community. And a deep failing of ex-Mormonism and ex-anythingism, actually, in my opinion, is that horrendous lack of community. And I've noticed that there's been attempts to try and recreate it, but you can never create community around an anti-belief. And the problem with anti-Mormonism is it is exactly that. You'll notice that there are no anti-Mormon cathedrals. There, I mean, there's there's no anti-Catholic cathedrals. There's no anti-Mormon temples. There's a close thing to anti-Mormon prophets around all of these middle-aged and angry bloggers. You know what I'm saying? But the reason why anti-Mormonism cannot create a temple is because it has no belief to rally around that believes it is bigger than the individual due to the cohesive nature of the community. Therefore, the community cannot band together to build something bigger than itself. And you descend into individualism, which forces you into comparison, which is 
the centerpiece of pride, which then forces you further into nihilism, anger, fear, all this other stuff. So I think the reason why these kind of things exist and why the ex-Mormon subreddit is the biggest subreddit on Reddit and so on and so forth is because you crave community, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just not the same. Outside. No, Does that make sense? no, no, you're absolutely 100% correct about that where um, people who leave the church don't have that same type of community. This app, this app, those people are not building a community. They're not, you know, they're, they're just desperate little pieces. You know, and John Larson said that, you know, after he left the church, the, you know, Mormon Expressions podcast, he said that he kind of tried to form his own community and eventually it collapsed. And as you've mentioned, the Thrive community, it has tried and it really hasn't really caught hold. And it, it, it's almost impossible to replicate I would say almost. I would say it's impossible to replicate the the community that the church gives to an individual. There's just been no. There's been a lot of efforts made, and there's been no. There's been nothing that has been able to um, to replicate it. So yeah, you're 100 you know, right. Are you familiar with a podcaster by the name of Jonathan Streeter? Yeah, sure. Thoughts on things and stuff. Yeah. So I would consider him a friend. Um, we have deep disagreements on interpretations of historical things. Um, but I, I very much admire and respect a lot of who he is and how he thinks, um, because he, he does have that deep understanding. In fact, we did a very interesting podcast where he talked about Chesterton's, Chesterton's fan. He cited, uh, a story in which I, I'm probably going to butcher this, but there was like a father and a son walking next to, uh, next to a, a fence and the son suggested, ah, oh, it's, you know, an ugly fence. We should get rid of it. And, um, the, the the father wisely said, now, hold on a second. I'll let you get rid of the fence if you really want to. But first, you have to tell me why it was built. Because until you know why a fence was built, you may be unleashing something that it was meant to contain. You know what I'm saying? And, and by tearing down that fence, you might actually make your life more difficult than less difficult. And he compared that to the church and said something very interesting. He said, you know, my father used to always give me a blessing before we start the school year. And though I now no longer have faith in necessarily the, the narrative that Joseph Smith restored the priesthood as a uniquely, I don't want to say supernatural because that's too, uh, that's too dismissive. But, you know, though he may not believe in the supernatural nature of the priesthood and may have a much more naturalistic worldview, um, he says, I've, I've tried to recreate as best I can you know, with my children, this concept that before school, I, I want to sit down, I want to have a talk with you in which I express my love for you and my deep care for your success, both academically, spiritually, and so on and so forth. And some would say that that won't survive more than one generation, you know what I'm saying? Or that it, w without the the supernatural belief undergirding it, uh, it, it, it can't proceed. But I have respect for the acumen and observance and observational powers of somebody who says, hey, you can't go tear down Chesterton's fence until you know either why it was built and whether it is truly dismissible or you have a replacement for the fence once you take down the old ugly one. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. Cool. Now, uh, our next article here is uh, perspective. What happens when the religiously illiterate are asked about Latter-day Saints? So there was a, an article here that was put out by the Deseret News that I found to be interesting. It was on February yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did this all happen this week since your last show? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, you are prolific. Of... How do you get all of this? Um, you know, that's interesting. I, you know, I always combing the news. I get Google alerts to my inbox every day for the top 10 LDS related and top 10 Mormon related articles. 
you know, I always check the Mormon, the LDS, the ex-Mormon subreddits. I check the Bloggernacles, the Times and Seasons, all of the other uh, by common consent. You know, I just try to stay up on the news all the time. I'm just kind of a news junkie. So um, a lot of things catch my eye. And I just, I, I don't know, I'm a big time church watcher. So I like to, Dude, I, I, like I have to, to hear- tell you, you have a talent, my man. I thought I was relatively in the know because of my podcast and I get people sending me stuff all the time, asking for commentary and stuff. And I would consider myself an above average aware person, but I mean, you are dwarfing me and your like knowledge of what, like, you know more about Mormonism in this week than I, I, I think I've read in articles this year. I mean, this is impressive. Keep going. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully that's what, you know, that's just comes naturally to me. I just like to do it. It, it really doesn't require any effort because that's what uh, that's what I'm into. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of sick and twisted that way. But this this article here, it talks about what what happens when the religiously illiterate are asked about Latter-day Saints, which I find to be very um, interesting because the vast majority of people are religiously illiterate. And, and uh-huh. this, there was a national survey that came out uh, a couple of months ago. It was a very important, a national representative survey that said that even over one third of respondents still believe that the church practices polygamy. You know, up to 40 percent of people still think that the church practices polygamy, you know, and they and that's one of the biggest you're a big marketing guy. That's one of the biggest marketing issues, I think, really, for the church. Number one, people are very ambivalent about the church in general. They don't really know a lot of Mormons and they don't really care about Mormons. And the people who do are extremely misinformed about the church's basic, basic beliefs that polygamy has been uh, not a thing for 120 years, you know, um, and that's one Dude, of the that's reasons more than that, when I was a kid in the 90s. That's actually like that's like but although that does kind of make sense and again I'm coming at this from a film producer's perspective but I mean let me let me just jump in the reason that it's worse than what it was in the 90s is because people in the 90s were more religiously literate. As people become more and more secular, they know less and less about other religions and they just rely on stereotypes and tropes like the Book of Mormon musical. I, I was going to say I can think of at least five or six different polygamy reality TV shows that have come out of FLDS circles and that big fat boom of big love shows on uh, Hulu depicting polygamy, Netflix. And then of course- Under the banner of heaven. Under the banner of heaven, yeah. And so it's like, it's very interesting um, to follow the trend of secularism. Secularism presents itself as the erudite and intelligent alternative to dogmatic and troglodyte stupidity also known as religion, but every time it is put to the test, secular communities are more ignorant on the majority of details in even deeply scientific topics than average members of very normal mainstream faiths. And I don't know if that's just because if you really believe you should be reading your scriptures every day, maybe you've incorporated enough literacy in your life that you've learned a lot of other things along the way. I I, I can't name a single thing that would cause that, but I do find it interesting that consistently secularism that markets itself as an intelligence, intelligent alternative to religiousness almost never shows up on game day as more intelligent than the religious. It's pretty yeah. hilarious. Well, think about yourself, Cardin. I mean, do you know the difference between Northern and Southern Baptist? Do you know all the ins and out of the Episcopal Church versus Pre- Presbyterian? And you're a very religious, literate person. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say you don't know all the nuances. And that's the challenge for non-literate people is they can't differentiate between FLDS and LDS. 40% of people think that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints practices polygamy. If I was running the church's marketing campaign, literally every general conference, I would literally have talks about this. I would be running articles about this. I would, on my social media would be emphasizing this. 
But the problem is, is that the church doesn't really ever even want to talk about polygamy at all, much less try to dispel it. They don't want to bring it up in the history because that history can be somewhat embarrassing. So it's kind of a catch-22. I wouldn't say spot on, but in the right direction. We are, And by the way, it's not just the church. I... I consistently have had a gripe for a long time. And part of the reason why I even had to start my podcast uh, had to do with the fact that the post-war boomers and Gen Xers enjoyed a measure of wealth unseen in human history. And with that wealth, unfortunately, instead of breaking down all the barriers and building a near utopia, they just became extremely wealthy and weak not as knowledgeable about their faith, not as knowledgeable about um, all kinds of things, yet very comfortable and very rich. They also rode the wave of technological advances that made them live longer than any other generation, including their own children, okay? Boomers and Gen Xers have the longest life expectancy of any generation both before and now after them, okay? They are addicted to this idea that suburban niceness is kindness and that love is non-confrontation, not a sincere desire for somebody else's well-being. Because if you have a sincere desire for your friend's well-being and he has a negative habit, you will tell him, look, bro, I love you and I know this is killing you, so I'm going to tell you to stop. But no, they won't. They, no, that's meanness. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, no, no, I believe sometimes one of the biggest services that you can provide a loved one, if you actually love them in the original meaning of the word, not this weird neutered suburban one, you know, one of the biggest things you can do for somebody is to disabuse them of a bad narrative. You know what I'm saying? And they, because they're so non-confrontational, they just allow bad narratives to persist. And I think it's the reason why we're fighting the, uh, all, all the, the social ills we're fighting now politically. Because look at our leadership, Chuck Schumer in his 80s, Trump in his 80s, Pelosi, I don't know, she crossed into the 90s yet. You know, uh, every single person that you can throw a stick at that's in leadership nationwide is just fighting battles and arguments that I remember reading about in high school happening in the 60s, you know, but none of me and my friends feel guilt or anger and angst over, right? And religiously, I mean, sorry, culturally, go look up on YouTube, the red carpet not ceremony, but there's a YouTuber that found a VHS copy of a journalist that was going through the red carpet in 1989. And it's kind of cool because it's got the VHS lines to it and he put some hip 80s music to it and it's nostalgic. But you'll notice something. Almost all the stars that you see then are still alive and walking the red carpet today. Robert Downey Jr. is there. Julia Roberts is there. Tom Hanks is there. George Clooney is there. Like we have not filtered through our stars like the same stars walking the red carpet in 2023 were the ones walking over 1989. And guess what? Go look at who was in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1989. I think six of the current 12. And, and who knows, maybe one of the presiding bishops, so it's a majority vote. You know what I'm saying? But like literally a functional plurality of the people that were are, are in leadership now in the Quorum of the Twelve, okay, were in leadership in the Quorum of the Twelve between 1989 and 1993. We're talking 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oftentimes, I think a lot of these problems that we're having, whether it's socially, politically, or religiously, 
are actually tied to an intergenerational problem that we have with a functional ruling class that has behaved in no way that any religious, uh, cultural, or political ruling class has ever behaved simply due to longevity. I don't think we've had a 30-year period in church history, the 200 plus years that we've been around. I don't think we've had a 30-year period where six out of the 12 apostles stayed six out of the 12 apostles for 30 years and all had an average age above 65. I don't think that's ever happened. Yet you can't tell me that does not deeply influence our discourse and our behavior. It definitely does. You know, the gerontocracy definitely has a great influence on the church. Without Is that question. what it's called, the gerontocracy? Yeah, that's a, that's a ruling class of uh, people who are geriatric or being ruled by elderly persons. That's a gerontocracy. So, I, dude, you learn something new every day. I'm humble enough to admit it. Mormon News Roundup just taught me something new, man. Congrats, bro. Yeah, the church <laughs> is really the church is really run by nonagenarians. Those are guys in their 90s. So, people. Well, actually, I, what's I, funny is is this is when I'll throw a bone to the 12 though, is that I actually think the religious leadership gets it a lot more than the middle leadership of the church office building. That's a good point, because that takes us to our next article. It seems like you're t- you're, the next article is, it, this was published by WheatonTerrace.org, and this was okay. on uh, February 13, 2023. Is that, it asks, is there a deep church? Meaning like, is there a deep state in the church? Because the, you know, the, the rumor was back when you know Trump was running the presidency that, I, that, that there was bureaucrats and officials inside of the government who used their institutional power to actually sabotage what Trump wanted to do because what Trump wanted to do was not the best for the country. So was, was there a deep state that was literally fighting against Trump? And that's what this blog post says. And it seems like that's where you were going. Is there a deep church inside of the church? Meaning, are there people who are trying to run the church kind of on a secret way, not in accordance with what the senior leadership of the church wants? It's very interesting that you mention. is there a deep church? Um, and I actually think it's kind of funny that now we live in a world where Donald Trump is credited with inventing the term deep state. It actually came from a Turkish prime minister who said that there was a, a, a deep state within his regime uh, in Turkey. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was a Turkish prime minister who actually invented the term deep state. And it's a translation of... Um, uh, I, I don't know if Turks speak Arabic or Farsi or whatever, but I do believe there was actually a Turkish prime minister who uh, coined the term the deep state. But I would say that the pride cycle is oftentimes cyclical and generational. But I also think that it can be bureau- bureaucratic. Like if you think about it, the church really didn't have a bureaucracy that was really in any large scale until the interwar or post-war period. And most of these big programs that we birthed came out of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Sir Kimball is the one who filled out the quorums of the 70s, because before that, you had assistance to the 12, and you did not have a fully functional quorums of the 70s. So it's really from Spencer Kimball, but that was in proportion to the church's growth, which exploded under Spencer Kimball because of his emphasis on the missionary program, which he said it was a priesthood responsibility, and before that, it was somewhat optional. So the bureaucracy has definitely increased in proportion to the church's population. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think sometimes I, I, I stray from conspiracies, not because I'm averse to them. I actually think they're quite fun, but um, I will never credit to conspiracy what can be attributed to obvious incompetence or natural consequences. And in my opinion, something the boomers did very well, having come from the post-war period, and I do believe being dedicated to their faith and the concept of missionary work, is they said, 
we got to get the word out. We got to spread the word out. And how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to do it in the same way that we defeated all the Nazis and the communists and all of the baddies um, of, of the past 20 years. We're going to build our way out of this thing. I mean, if you really study World War II, we had brave soldiers. We had heroes fighting. But we also had the M1 Garand that is credited as being one of the single best infantry rifles ever known to man. We also built the P-51 Mustang, the single best single prop uh, fighter ever built. And for every Messerschmitt BF-109 that we shot out of the sky, we threw five different airplanes up into allied airspace defending us and our friends. So we did fight our way out of World War II, but we also manufactured and standardized our way out of World War II. And so the post-war church, especially in the 70s, and 80s was really, I, I believe millennials are the first what I call institutionalized Mormons. It's the first generation that was raised with, check this out, standardized hymn book. First standardized hymn book didn't come out until when? Late Gen Xers, or uh, what would have been the development, the developmental years of uh, late Gen Xers and early millennials. We didn't have the first children's songbook getting sung nationwide in fully translated form until probably the 80s or the 90s. But all of these standardized forms of worship that um, all of the boomers were were using to, to spread that gospel, baby. Go knock those doors. Every hundred doors, you're going to beat somebody that's, you know, questioning something. Give them a Book of Mormon, bear them testimony and move on, baby. You know, we were kind of grounding and pounding for better or for worse. And that came with natural consequences. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but a majority of the members of the church, this is true 10 years ago. I don't know if it's still true. I'd have to see the stats. But as of 10 years ago, a majority of the members in the church were actually converted to the church through the discussions program. Now that's obviously eliminating birth rate. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But the majority of the people converted to the church at that time had been converted through the discussions. And you remember that big switch in 2002 to 2003, where they said, oh, we're no longer using discussions. By the time they switched it, a majority of the converts had actually been converted through the discussions. That's how expansive our growth rate was at that time. And we flipped in what was it? 1993 from having more members outside of U.S. borders than within U.S. borders. I, I can't remember if it was 1993 or 1998. I'm pretty sure it was 1993 because I remember the house that we lived in when um, that was announced and I was probably about 10 years old. So anyway, um, it, as of 1964, there was more members of the church in the state of Utah than in California. By 1965, we had more members, or sorry, by the 1970s, we had more members in the state of California than in Utah. And then by the early 90s, we had more members outside of the U.S. border. So you have to think about that. We went from being a Utah church in 1964 to being a worldwide church in 1993. We're talking about only a 29-year period. That is massive expansion. And how was that done? largely under the tutelage of standardized religious instruction, similar to the discussions. And so I think every time there's a massive expansion, naturally there comes a contraction. And then there's a bigger expansion and then another contraction. And to me, that's, that's, that's very consi uh, consistent with natural growth patterns that have natural consequences, um, such as the ones we're having now. So just to, just to get your thoughts, do you think that there's a deep state church or not? Just real quick summary. I think there is an, uh, a largely, increasingly more incompetent and outdated middle bureaucracy in the church that is not competent enough to conspire to be a deep state that actually goes against the brethren. I think the brethren succeed in spite of some of their advisors 
not because of their advisors. And I've met these people that though they are frustratingly incompetent, they are wholly decent in every way. And I would never put the motive of deep statism on them because I don't find them conspiring. I just find them ill-equipped for the modern day, especially the internet culture that most of us engage in now. Our next article here, which was really, I think, one of the biggest ones that really trended on like the ex-Mormon Reddit is Dallin Oaks went to the uh, University of Chicago, which was his alma mater, and he went there to clarify the church's position on uh, same-sex marriage, which we covered last week. But the actual comments kind of went viral here, which uh, we'll link to that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, something taken woefully and cynically out of context that you would like have to be completely toxic to think that way. Gee, I don't know. I'll leave that up to you to decide. But what he said was Jesus did not pray that his followers would be diverse. He prayed that they would be one. People were saying, wait a minute, Jesus doesn't want diversity? That's what kind of stoked the controversy. Okay, riddle me this question. Is that really the impression that you got? That I'm not saying you did, but just mano to mano here. When you read that, that didn't come across as a boilerplate Christian plea to remember that we all our one big giant family under God. Did you sense anything deep down inside that that was somehow a criticism of diversity? Well, that my question for you, Cardin, is can one have unity without diversity? Unity inherently would mean that people were, to me, insinuated in the definition of unity is that people are purposefully deprioritizing something personal for something communal because maybe they love it. For example, um, I will go participate in river cleanup in my hometown because I value my neighbors and their access to the beauty of our natural resources just as much as I want to preserve it for future generations because I am a good person like that. And I, I, I hold their identity as children of God above any other identity. So I'm sure there's people that don't think the same way as me, don't look the same way as me in that process. And I'm choosing to subjugate any kind of personal beefs uh, with the Giants fans over there or the, the, the Democrats over there so that we can all just live in a nice community that I clean up in the river. But I'll, I'll tell you, I get I am increasingly frustrated with this kind of discourse that I view as wholly irrational and wildly toxic. And this reminds me of when Elder Holland made his now infamous uh, plea to the BYU staff to be like those that built the temple and have a trowel in one hand with a musket in the other, obviously symbolic of the building of the bricks of the temple and the musket for the defending against the mobs that wanted to tear it down. And then when he said, "I would, you guys are doing a good job building the kingdom with knowledge, I'd like to see more musket fire. The way the ex-Mormon subreddit twisted that into being somehow a plea of violence against LGBTQ members of the church is such a wild stretch. It could only be accomplished by somebody who is insane or cruel. And without the ability to call these people insane, I think it is only cruel. And right now, the lies being propagated to uh, members of the LGBT community by anti-Mormon ex-Mormonism ex-Mormonism, and how they traffic in human misery to purposely twist the words of leaders who are wholly decent in every way, who may have, I don't know, stumbled with their words or had a diversity reader not toxic enough to have eliminated the sentence from their, their speech. There is no way you can look at what Dallin H. Oak said and say, oh yeah, he was calling out diversity. What do you think he was was pleading for? 
a lack of it. The Mormon church is the most diverse thing out there. I would actually argue that there is more diversity within the faithful membership of the church in your average weird ward in Orem with all of its foreign exchange students that come in and all of its adopted children and all of the Mormonism is a smorgasbord intellectually, racially, uh, politically that goes so much deeper in terms of diversity. And you will have a more diverse experience traveling the world, going to Mormon churches than you will effectively anywhere in ex-Mormon, anti-Mormonism or atheism plus that permeates through the, the, the blogger knackle. And I have gotten so fed up with all of these wildly toxic misinterpretations of what members of the 12 say. And I don't even like Dallin H. Oaks that much. He's a great guy. He's cool. I sustain him as leader. That's great. But if I have a golden genie lamp, okay, and and I, I could wish to hang out with three people, Dallin H. Oaks wouldn't be top three. I don't know. Maybe I, I'd get uh, Freddie Mercury, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, and I don't know, Joseph Smith. I He's not even my favorite dude, yet here I find myself having to defend the guy because I, I, I can sense the reality around me and understand just how destructive the toxic lies these ex-Mormons say are, and it's got to stop. I have no respect okay. for any person that propagates this. Look, look, you said that the church is an extremely diverse place, but just, just, just hear me out here. There's been 102 apostles in this dispensation. 100 of them have been white, cisgender, married men. Okay, so you know that's that's not a lot of diversity. Well, have you been listening to what I just said? I mean, we literally have six out of twelve apostles that were the same apostles in 1989. I mean, any gripe that and, and this is permeating all of our culture. We have we we really have developed a false idol. And this false idol is shooting us in the butt. Martin Luther King was a pastor whose principal appeal in order to pass and help pass, I should say, the civil rights movement was a Christian appeal to the essence of the Judeo-Christian belief that we are all children of God created in his image. Had we not enjoyed those ethos, that would not have happened. And why do we know this? Because the United States of America is very unique. Did you know Nelson Mandela was fascinated with the U.S. civil rights movement? And one of the reasons why he was fascinated was because he said it's one of the most unique situations in history where a racial majority in power voted to give increased rights to a minority group. That is a wholly unique thing that though Jim Crow was horrible, though obviously slavery is a human rights crime and I have no endorsement of traffickers and my ancestors fought them. I'm the closest living relative besides my mother to Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross. I have been an advocate for equal rights for all men my entire life. But if we descend down the toxically cynical route that, oh, just because X, Y, or Z person has the wrong skin, skin color, we are wholly betraying the essence of the civil rights movement, which was a Judeo-Christian appeal to what Russell M. Nelson has as his rallying cry right now. His most popular talk is the one where he says, what are our three identities? We are first a child of God, second child of the covenant, third, I can't even remember. Disciple of Christ. That's the the disciple of Christ. Yes, thank you. Um, while, while Russell M. Nelson is hanging out with the leaders of the NAACP, trying to tell people to love people of all faith from the pulpit, and then actually contributing a positive Christian me message to the racial discourse, we have nothing but a bunch of toxic people online trying to criticize the fact that he's white. That is if we go down that road and we allow that to take even deeper root than it already has, we will descend 
into literally utter racial chaos where you're not allowed to be friends with somebody if they're of a different skin color because X, Y, and Z woke scold says you haven't paid enough of a historical price. Let me just read you a couple of tweets that uh, were in response to this. I'll get your thoughts on them. So let me just read this out. No one is praying for more diversity. Diversity is already here. God created diversity. When we look for ways to celebrate diversity, we are trying to respond to the diversity that already exists. First off, let's just define the diversity. If we're talking about the diversity of backgrounds, yeah, I think that's great. My grandfather escaped the Nazis in Poland. Polish culture is wholly unique, yet there is a beautiful, uh, a beautiful conversion that took place of a man that escaped the Nazis and then came to America. And, and I now enjoy discourse with member of the, members of the church on, on three continents that have wildly different backgrounds. I'm from Los Angeles. You want to talk diversity? The most beautiful hymns you will ever hear sung are going to be in the, the, the Tongan and the Samoan wards in Long Beach. In fact, if you meet a Tongan or a Samoan in North America, I would bet with 99% accuracy that they or their ancestors were converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At a time when Brigham Young was considering these people children of God, okay, maybe mistakenly, uh, 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 somehow related to the people in the Book of Mormon. I'm not saying Hagoth founded the Polynesian Islands, all right? But the respect given to peoples of the world different than themselves in the Book of Mormon is a wholly unique thing. And yeah, I, I would say diversity of background, wildly celebrated in the Mormon church. In fact, my biological father was in charge of the cultural celebration um, when the Orlando Temple was opened. And they were finding ways to celebrate the 12 top and they had to stop at 12 just because there, there, there was, you know, they had to drive, draw the line somewhere, you know, but they were celebrating the widespread Caribbean and Latino cultures that are prominent in, in Florida. So to say that the Mormon church has a diversity problem is wildly ignorant or at best misrepresentational, if that's even the word or misrepresentative, you know, I, I don't have tolerance for these I, I don't have patience for these people because as a Los Angeles Mormon, I guarantee I've met more people of different backgrounds and races at church than the people saying we lack diversity have in their entire lives. Okay, let me just read you one more quote here, Carden, and then we'll move along from this one. Oaks, uh, this is another tweet in response to this thread. It says, Oaks' single-minded, lifelong, unyielding, take-no-prisoners battle against queer folks and gay marriage is making collateral damage of every other member of the church that doesn't look, talk, and act or think just like him. Uh, that just shows more about that person's character and worldview than Dallin H. Oaks is. I've met him. I'm shaking his hand. He's not my favorite of the 12, but he's he's not waging war against that. That's garbage. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. Keep going. Our, now, that does take us to our Mormon News Roundup question of the week, which is, does Jesus want his followers to be diverse? So if you come on over to Anchor, you can interact with us on our poll. And we're coming here. We've only got a couple last articles here, but uh, this was a very interesting article that came out here. And it's, it claims here that uh, from the PRI Research Center that says uh, on, this is, was po posted on February 8th by the PRI staff, which is one of the most well-respected uh, survey and uh, polls out there. It claims that according to the results of this poll, that 38% of Mormons self-identify themselves as Christian nationalists. And that was a surprising number for me to really, um, really think about. In fact, I, I'm laughing here that Desnet has entered the chat. What are your thoughts about this uh, finding here from PRI, Carden? You said there's a PRI survey in uh, which 38% mm -hmm. of Mormons identified themselves as Christian nationalists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, my BS meter is 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 flying high right now. And 
the only reason why I'm saying that is not to be dismissive, but there's a reason why Mark Twain said there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics is because I could see why your average member of the church who is active, a tithing, paying, uh, temple recommend, holding, scripture reading member of the church, I could see why he would say, yes, I'm a nationalist because we're generally patriotic, especially in North America. Canadian Mormons are very patriotic. I had to learn the uh, um, Argentine national anthem because they'd sing it four times a year in Argentina for all the different holidays. Argentine Mormons are very patriotic, thus being nationalists. And patriotism is a little bit codified in our faith when we say in articles of faith that we believe in being ruled by kings, princes, municipalities, and upholding and sustaining the law and saying, this is my team and I'm going to participate in it positively, aka be patriotic. I think that automatically insinuates that any good Mormon's going to be a patriot, a.k.a. a nationalist, okay? And then Christian, yeah, well, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are a Christian faith. He is the cornerstone of our gospel. So I could see why when asked if somebody said, should we be Christian, that they're indeed Christian. Also, there were other questions in that survey as well, I think, that you mentioned before, right? Where um, they said, do you think that like Judeo-Christian values should be manifest in government, and do you think that like we should be a, a Christian nation? I would say yes to those as well, because the aforementioned Martin Luther King was only able to pull off the civil rights movement through a robust plea to the Christian ethos of the people. So I would say, yes, we should be a Christian nation. Now, in that same sentence, do I think we should be a theocracy? No. Do I think we ever could be? No. But the problem with some of these statements, when I hear that like, oh, 40% of Mormons are Christian nationalists is Christian nationalism is one of those terms that's coming out of the internet culture left, at least. And I'm not saying this is what you mean to say, and I'm not saying this is what PRI is trying to say, but white Christian nationalist is a pejorative, okay, that's used to try and say that anybody that is white must be a, 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 a Christian theocrat or activist, or anybody that's nationalist must be an irrational uh, religious Christian or so on and so forth. So to me, there is either an insane lack of nuance in that statement, or they're putting answers of multiple questions together because I have yet to meet anybody that self-identifies as, yeah, I'm a Christian nationalist. Maybe in Los Angeles, we don't go around calling ourselves that. Okay. But if I've never met anybody that's ever used the term, hi, I'm a Christian nationalist, then I don't think 40% of my peer group uh, subscribes to that idea. That just my BS flags are waving. So you haven't met anyone who says, my name is Cardin, I'm a Mormon, and I'm a Christian nationalist. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, this never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm maybe going out on a limb here, but maybe you're not the guy that they would admit that to, considering you're maybe slightly oversized personality. Just guessing yeah. that. <laughs> I, could, I could, maybe, you know, Los Angeles isn't exactly known for its right-leaning uh, people. We'll just put it that way, right? Oh, that's funny. Now, yeah, who knows? You could be right, dude. Okay, now the next uh, article here, this is a tweet here from Ryan Burge here, who tweeted out here just a couple of days ago that uh, from 2008 to 2020, he rank ordered the states of the change in the share of attending religious services weekly. So Utah ranks second in declining church attendance from 2020 to 2008. Only New Mexico beats out Utah. So Utah had 54% of people in 2008 attending church. Now it's only 39%. That is second in the nation. So church attendance in Utah in particular is declining faster than almost anywhere else. Only, only New Mexico is higher than Utah, which also has quite a few Mormons in it. Why do you think that Utah is head of the class when it comes to declining church attendance in the last uh, 15 years, Garden? Um, You ever taken a statistics class? So you know how like 
statistics 101, the first thing the professor gets up is he tries to talk about all the different ways statistics can give you bad impressions. And then they'll show surveys that are done and how the numbers can be misrepresentative or not misrepresentative, but um, how different outcomes can seem to be perceived from similar data. Well, I, when I hear that stat and I think, wow, 39% decline, holy crap, holy smokes, whoa. But I also think, well, it, it was one of the most religious states before. And, and still the, is. Yeah, still and is. still is. And the predominant religion was huge on in-person attendance. However, that religion's leadership has chosen both before and during COVID to severely truncate the officially required attendance model. I mean, we went from going have, from having institute on Mondays to young men on Wednesdays to Boy Scouts on on Thursdays to church dances on Fridays, uh, uh, scout activities on Saturdays, and the church on Sunday to having a "Come Follow Me" book this thick and a prophet that says we really need to focus on at home learning. So, so Mormonism from a voluntary perspective was already making huge gear shifts towards less in-person institutional attendance. We also got rid of our requirement only what, 24 months ago to um, do monthly uh, visiting teaching. So, you know, when you say, oh, there's a decline in attendance, usually that's presented in a negative light because especially in secular institutions, uh, in-person attendance is usually a measurement of health and strength of a people. Whereas in this case, I'm not convinced that a 39% decrease is demonstrative of widespread uh, failure. I think half of it, I think there's lots of millennials leaving. We we can't ignore those stats, okay? There's the rise of the nuns. We've seen the, um, the sociological data that like Nathaniel Givens mentions in his book, um, Into the Headwinds, which just came out. Um, we know there's people that are leaving the church. But is that 39% all negative dismissal and leaving? No, I, I drastically doubt that. I think that's just de also demonstrative of a cultural shift in the church. And because those stats are represented in percentage form, okay, and as a negative percentage, we are misled to believe that that is a sign of decline. When in reality, again, like I said before, I will never attribute to malice, which can be uh, described by natural consequences. Or, um, or incompetence. In this case, I think a lot of that is actually just natural consequences, not decline. Now, it's only a 15% decrease. It went from 54% a church weekly church attendance to 39. So it's a 15% decrease, which is second yeah. only to New Mexico, which is a 16% decrease. And Ryan Burge also, this is our final tweet here from Ryan Burge. He always has a lot of very interesting research. Uh, I think he's from uh, Illinois University, Northern Illinois University. But he talked about which group has the highest level of religious literacy. So he was comparing Protestants, Catholics, Mormons, agnostics, atheists, Jewish, uh, nothing in particular, or refused to answer. And it turns out that the Jew, uh, that Jews have the highest level of religious literacy among all faith traditions. They know about okay. their own religion, and they know about all the other religions. They're really, really smart in people. In both languages. Yeah, yeah, I had buddies that went to Hebrew school like just as often as they came to soccer practice. It was awesome. Now, and, and what was kind of surprising to me is that Mormons came in second. So Mormons <laughs> are... Uh, the second highest level of religious literacy. And that makes perfect sense, Cardin, because uh, actually Mormons are secret Jews, right? Or is that correct? <laughs> is that right? Or uh, I, I don't know if I'd call us secret Jews. I, I think we definitely believe that 
once you uh, come into Christ, you are baptized into the house of Israel. And that if all those prophecies in the book of uh, uh, Revelations come true, then we will all be once again united in one big human family, which would include both Jew and Gentile. To be more accurate, Mormons are wannabe Jews. Would that be closer or they're legit Jews? Or I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of trolling you here a little bit here, but. Yeah, I would say Mormons are are friends with Jews. I actually, it's kind of funny, but as a radio host, three of my favorite radio hosts are um, Jewish. Michael Medved, bless his soul, he had uh, uh, some kind of throat cancer, so he doesn't broadcast anymore. But he gave the best, most hilarious, and erudite movie reviews uh, on the radio. I know it's kind of an outdated medium, and I'm a millennial who loves like vinyl records and restoring old radios, and so I've always been fascinated by the medium. Uh, all the way back to when Orson Welles did War of the Worlds, to when um, uh, radio dramas were popular, like The Shadow and things like that. So I'm probably uh, dropping names here that may not be relevant to most of your very young audience. So yeah, I would say I wouldn't say uh, Mormons are secret Jews. We're friends with the Jews. We love them. They're awesome. Okay. Well, that um, you know, before we go on to our final uh, segment here, I think we can safely say that Mormons are no dodos, just like Elder Holland said back in that famous 2012 uh, uh, BBC interview. I think that much is confirmed. Now, if okay, you want to get no in touch, dodos. yeah, that's yeah, that goes right along with what Elder Holland said to the BBC. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can leave us a voicemail on Anchor, which we can play on our next podcast. We're on Twitter. We're at, at @newsmormon on Twitter, and we release all of these uh, shows onto YouTube. Drop us a like, drop us a subscription. We'd like to thank also our official sponsor, which is Signature Books. Now, that does take us to our final Mormon News Roundup poll of the week here. And Cardin, I'm giving you a little bit of red meat here uh, for you because I, I thought you and Quaku might uh, enjoy this particular poll. But it is. Mormon Stories episode, would you much like to watch? Now, I understand, Cardin, you probably don't watch a lot of what we talked about earlier. You don't catch a lot of Mormon Stories uh, episodes. Is that correct? Do I have that right? I'm not nearly self-loathing enough to regularly follow I get sent a lot of clips when they try and like just say false stuff about us and I go to debunk it. You know what I'm saying? But I, I've tried to tune in. Uh, they're good at making clickbait there. Uh, what's funny is I actually, I think, jo I think John DeLynn is a genius. A lot of people get angry and they try and say like, oh, he's stupid. or Oh, these arguments are so stupid just because they don't like him. I think he has mastered the art of the cry bully. Like he is a genius. He knows right how to get into the sweet spot of vagary and insinuation while fundraising off it and presenting himself as the viable alternative and the hero fighting against that, that, that big overarching dogmatic faith. And I'm that underdog who needs help, but he never says anything quite committal enough to actually get him in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Cause he's gotten smart over all the scandals that he was able to bury and his massive army of people behind him who just absolutely seethe and hate the church will always defend him to such a degree that he never has to go out and defend himself. He has, he's a genius in his realm. Now, I do believe that that type of uh, approach to podcasting, fundraising and activist activism, because he does self-identify as a social justice activist. He's said almost to a perfect quote, I will never apologize for my uh, social justice. Uh, espousing all of those leftist woke ideologies, you know, um, I think that his type of antagonism towards the church only thrives when there is weak leadership, um, especially in the public affairs departments that are actually populated not by priesthood leaders, but by bureaucrats. PR should be going out and saying anybody misrepresenting Dallin H. Oaks is purposely twisting his words. They should be fighting the good fight and they should be defending but they're not. 
They're cowering in their whole little suburban niceness is being mistaken for kindness culture where they just try and ignore it and make it go away. And it's just part of that intergenerational failure. When I think that brand, which isn't just John DeLynn's, it's, it's almost all of them's, uh, some of them engage in comedy and I have a little bit of respect for that. Cause like some of the stuff they say is funny. Uh, I think Zelf on the shelf, for example, can give some pretty toxic arguments, but at least they throw in like a satirical music video every once in a while that like, I can kind of giggle at So I'm like, okay, fine. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've invited them on my show too. That's the other weird thing is like, uh, anti-Mormons never want to come on our show, even though we've kind of cordially invited them, except for Jonathan, he did show up. He's a cool guy. But, um, yeah, I think that kind of cry bully tactic has, uh, an expiration date on it. Once this spoiled post-war generation that is more interested in maintaining its comfort and its wealth is dead. And those of us that have had to, were born in the trenches, inherit the church. I think that they will experience a pushback they have never experienced before. And that's also uh, the tip of that spirit in, in some sense is our show. Like anti-Mormons, especially the toxic atheistic ex-Mormons, um, sometimes have experienced the first pushback in their lives when we come out and we say, hold on, we cry foul. You can lie about all kinds of things, but you can't lie about us. In fact, we're going to debunk what you said with, with these facts and figures on your screen and they can't handle it. Their NPC minds just start shaking and explode. And because the only thing they're capable of doing is shaming people like the Christian right did in the eighties, they just start resulting to name calling and shame based tactics that don't work on people who've already been canceled five times. Okay. It doesn't take much to get you going, does it, Cart? No, no, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you start in fifth gear all the time, so you, you don't need to go one through four. I, I got that. So let me get your uh, let me get your opinions on which, which of these Mormon stories episode would you most like to watch? Is it number one, super attractive and totally relatable ex-Mormon has so many good reasons for leaving the LDS church, and you should too? Or do you like number two? John DeLynn's liberal echo chamber mob self-righteously gangs up on benevolent, deluded believers. Don't miss. How do you like okay. that one? That, you like that one or you need to hear the rest I'm of them? Chuckling. Need... I'm chuckling. I'm okay. I haven't chosen mine yet until I hear okay. them all. How about number three? My numbing 17-hour interview attempts to prove literally for the 964th time that the Mormon church isn't true. That one. You like that three. one? Okay. Oh, his stuff is unwatchable unless you already hate yourself and hate the church and want to commiserate over a false doctrine that's been developed in the echo chambers of the internet. Um, I I had echo chamber in number two. So what about, how about number four? Defiant, coffee-guzzling LDS apostate desperately tries to convince everyone that she is so much happier now. (laughs) Oh, that that one's kind of funny. That one's kind of funny. Or how about uh, number five? Uh, totally transparent nonprofit foundation, which believes strongly in accountability, has absolutely no comment on Jen Camp's lawsuit. <laughs> Bro, you got to write for Midnight Megaphone. That's pure satire. That is yeah, funny, man. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, that I'll take that as a compliment. Funny. Are, you a about- C- are you a ghostwriter for Midnight Megaphone, bro? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not a ghostwriter for anybody. Uh, wow. How about how about uh, episode? This is six. I got seven choices here for you. Six. Uh, don't shoot the messenger. But spoiler alert: there is no God. Part one hundred and twelve of eight hundred and eighty-seven must watch. That's a long series. That's <laughs> and and if they're ten hours each, that that's a lot of that's a lot of watch time. That's that's a tough. That you're not going to be able to binge that on a weekend, right? And then there has to be some kind of vagary on the thumbnail, and it's kind of funny, like. 
whoever does the thumbnails for John Delin, I swear it's the same graphic designer on Fiverr that does them for Saints Unscripted. Because they, they're they starting to look, I can't tell the difference between the two when I'm scrolling through my feeds sometimes. Like, they all just have this vagary. Was Joseph Smith a polygamist? Question mark. And I don't know whether it's pro or anti-content on content until I look down and I see Saints Unscripted. Like, it's, it's hilarious. You used to be able to tell the difference between the two, but now you can't. So, um... They're trying to also debunk lies that people don't want debunked in real time. And I think that's a fool's errand. You have to create a positive culture that people don't want to leave. You know what I'm saying? Instead of trying to tell people who won't change their opinion, even if you shove facts and figures in their face that are undeniable, they will, they, they, they'd they find a way to dismiss it. So I got one more for you. And that's number seven. Oh. Uber faithful Mormon is shocked by the incredible wisdom of the Mormon stories podcasting game and donates big. Well, which one do you want that, you know, I, I, most of these pretty much sum up on most of these Mormon stories podcast episodes, but which one of those titles would you most like to watch? Uh, I think it is kind of funny. The one that you say about donations, because the only time he ever uh, speaks ill of our uh, show or of me and Bradwood, Brad Whitbeck and Quaker well, and names them by name and tries to make himself some victim of, of uh, some new uh, phraseology that he's invented that is consistent with whatever uh, the woke scolds are complaining about in the previous 12 months. It always happens before his fundraisers. He always does it within 48 hours of his fundraisers. It's really funny. So the fundraising one, that strikes a chord with me. Um, I have a phrase, home record for profit that I use. So um, I think right now the availability bias is kicking in though. So I'm liking the last one that I heard. But number three was funny. What was number three? I remember. Uh yeah, mind-numbing 17-hour interview attempts to prove literally for the 964th time that the Mormon church isn't true. That's the episode that's you want to watch. Okay, That's it. So that's that's they, the one. Okay, so that's, if they put that episode together, you're going to watch it. I've got your commitment on that, right? Um, I would, and you want to know why? Yeah, sure. Because I would feel like I was being dealt with honestly. One of, my, one of my biggest gripes with the blogger knuckle right now is that everybody that uses Mormon in the title of their podcast uh, who knows, maybe except for you, I don't know you well enough, and I only met you this week, but all of them, whether it's Mormon Discussions, Radio Free Mormon, the Mormon Stories podcast, they all try and present themselves as members of the church so that when the outside world Googles them, or the Washington Post or CNN or the New York Times wants to get comment on the Mormon church, they're first in line and are misrepresented as being active and faithful members of the church. And then they have their chance to say their destructive misrepresentations or their false narratives. And I would say, I would appreciate it if these people, if John DeLynn would call his podcast the Anti-Mormon Stories podcast, which I still think would be a funny play on words and would be much more truthful. I appreciate the MSNBC, for example, basically self-identifies as the liberal news outlet. So when I watch their stuff and they say, hey, this is reality, and then they spout a bunch of um, liberal talking points, I feel like I'm not lied to as much, you know, because they overtly present as a left-wing channel. Same with Fox News. You see Sean Hannity. I can't stand the guy's personality on a personal level. He kind of bugs me. But he says, this is a conservative reaction to X, Y, or Z thing. So when I hear him speak, I don't feel lied to. So, um, yeah, I would say I would have respect if he actually titled a video, a mind numbing 17 hour podcast where we try and tell you that the church is not true because it would be representative of both the boring nature of his content and also be the fact that he is indeed an anti-Mormon. So, um, I would go with number two. I mean, number three, number three is my favorite. Number three. Good. Oh, well, we've got your commitment. If he releases that episode, you will be watching. We have that down here on, on the podcast I'm and on video. I'm putting a time cap on it though. 
I'm putting a 60 minute time cap on it though. Dude. Okay. okay. Like, <laughs> All right. You know, that's my rule. Anyway, okay. keep going. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we do have a bunch of uh, good upcoming shows coming up here on the Mormon News Roundup. We have the White Cat Prophecy coming on on February 26th. And we have John Hamer coming on, who's going to give us some Community of Christ news updates for their World Conference, which is taking place in a short time. He's coming on on March 12th. Carton, um, unfortunately, we couldn't get Quaku and Brad on here, but I want to thank you so much for coming on to the Mormon News Roundup. Hey, uh, thanks for inviting me, man. We'll get them next time. They had to call in sick, poor guys, but they'll be here next time, I'm sure for coming on. I want to give a shout out to Weird Alma for this uh, episode's music. And thanks so much for ruminating with us on the great and spacious beehive. And remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself I'm a being with no moral constraints My number one goal is to hurt The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints